as we go to the Word of God uh, here in uh, Nehemiah chapter 8. Uh, we want to understand the few things that this portion is going to be dealing with, if we can. Uh, before I get to reading the text, and I don't start until I read and pray, I just want to let you know that Israel, the, uh, the remaining tribes as such, were taken into bondage and Babylonian captivity because of sin. You say, that must have been bad sins. Whoa, whoa. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You say, oh, what do you mean? Well, I don't do bad sins. Yeah, well, the smallest of the sins is like a tumor that reveals a great problem. The sins that they had committed was not keeping, you, are you sitting down for this? Not keeping the seventh year land Sabbath. Who could do that? Stop working for a whole year, let the land grow fallow, and just trust the Lord for a year? It was never kept. And so they went to 70 years to make up for the land Sabbaths that had been neglected. You say, what? It could have been anything. The point was, all have sinned. And maybe there are things in the Bible that challenge you. How could I ever, how could I ever trust the Lord that much? A year the land grows fallow? I mean, good grief. And so there may be areas uh, that you are kind of neglecting. It's all the same. Uh, and we need to understand the, the issue of what God, a holy God, uh, that brought our, my people into bondage for 70 years. Uh, 70 years. Uh, kind of a lesson to be learned kind of experience. And then they came back under the leadership of various individuals, uh, Tim has been speaking, uh, teaching on Nehemiah. And so the issue of Ezra and Nehemiah, those two leaders are headliners in this chapter. And so they're back from bondage. Still got the scrapes, still got the bruises, still got all the scars, uh, still got a lot of hurting going on, a lot of recovery going on. And they come to the seventh month of the biblical calendar. And so we read in Nehemiah chapter 8, it says, And all the people gathered as one man uh, at the square, which was in front of the water gate, and they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then, remember the oracles of God, Romans chapter 3, verse 2. What advantage the Jew to them were given the oracles of God? Verse 2, Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. The seventh month contains three festivals. Uh, we're going to know two of them in this chapter. Uh, but nonetheless, that's the finale rally month of God, the culmination that pictures the redemptive work being finished. Uh, glorification is the end result of your salvation. 
And so this is pictured uh, here in this portion. Uh, verse uh, 3, he read from it before the, uh, in the, before the square, which was in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and women and all who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. From morning until, so if I go a little long, no complaining. We could, it could be worse. It could be worse. Don't test me on this. Turn, if you will, now down. We're going to skip some of the names. Uh, I want you to read with me and note at least what it says here uh, in verse uh, 7 and 8. And then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up hands. And they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with, on, on, on their face up to the ground. And then there's a name, seven names, plus it then says, and the Levites. I'm just going to cut to the chase here. End of verse 8. Apart, end of verse 7 and then 8. Uh, and the Levites explained the law to the people while the people remained on, in their, on their face, uh, in their place. Uh, they read from the book, from the law of God, translating. Uh, they did not speak Hebrew anymore. Uh, after 70 years in Babylon, they spoke Aramaic, uh, Babylonian type of Hebrew, but not close. Uh, so it had to be translated. Uh, aren't you glad I'm reading in English? All God's people said. Okay. Translating. Uh, to give the sense so that they understood the reading. The word understand is used six times in this portion. The truth will set you free if you understand it. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we are a thankful people to gather in your presence in the place, even as these folks gathered, the presence of the living God. So we too gather. We pray that the Holy Spirit, the very one who inspired the writing of Scripture, that he might now illuminate our minds and hearts to the truth of your word that we might understand, that we might give attention to it and application in our lives. Because the truth will set us free if we understand it and apply it. So guide us now that the Holy Spirit who will enlighten our minds will empower us to live out the truth. Not only for the sake of those in this auditorium, and for our families, but we do pray for revival. Let it begin in my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And so they came back, as we noted here, uh, and quite frankly, uh, they were kind of astounded. They're still kind of numb 
I don't know what it, if you've ever been through this kind of situation where you had a very devastating kind of experience, and then you've got to like go to a wedding, or then you've got to go to some event, or maybe it just come to church uh, when you're still recovering from your experience, you know? Uh, it takes a lot of faith just to show up, I'm telling you. Uh, but that's what they had to do here. And so they were reading from the law of God. I want you to notice what their response was, starting in verse 9. Nehemiah 8, 9. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to the people, this day is holy to the Lord. The first day of the seventh month is the Feast of Trumpets. It's traditionally called Rosh Hashanah, Jewish New Year's, uh, but that was actually a traditional name. Uh, this is a day that is very, uh, very important on the biblical calendar. How many people are listening for the last trump, raise your hand. Oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Uh, but nonetheless, very important, as it anticipated the work of God being culminated in glorification. And so it goes on to say here, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not weep or do not mourn or weep for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. They heard the words of the law and they wept. Why is that? Because when the word of God was being taught, you know, in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 15, it says that if you do not keep every command perfectly, all these curses will come upon you. Every Command, the law of God, the Torah, as we would say, was given to show our desperate need for grace and mercy. Not to put a star at the top of our page. And these folks who just came out of exile because of sin became confronted with their sins. And they wept. My goodness. What a strange scene. They just got finished building a wall. You went through the wall building, didn't you? They built this wall, but a wall could not keep God out of their lives. All the defenses that people develop to protect themselves, to insulate themselves from all the issues of life, God cannot be stopped by any of them. And so you may think, well, if I have enough money, I'm untouchable. Or perhaps, you know, if I uh, have the right kind of house, the right career, or whatever it might be. You know, remember, uh, I was once cute. <laughs> it is no protection. But the truth of the matter is that God wants to invade your life, to bring, to bring you to terms with the truth of your soul 
And so even when the law was being read, it's understood, it's not, it's unsurprising that they would weep. It's unsurprising. Because all that they could do with building this wall and all those efforts, it could not keep God out of their life. And I don't know what you've been developing in your lives. You know, maybe you have a, a whole group of people and friends, you know, uh, kind of your, you know, your amen team who basically encourage you. Uh, I don't know what you got going for you. Maybe you got family. You know, that's why stick, you know, blood is thicker than water. We're here for you. Uh, I don't know what you have, but it cannot protect you from God. In light of the truth of God and the light of the sinfulness of the human soul, it is unsurprising, unsurprising that they would be grieving and weeping and mourning over these matters. But I'd like us to note, if we will, that though it may be unsurprising, it's also unacceptable. You say, what do you mean? Let's take a look at what the text says here. Uh, it said there, do not weep and do not grieve. What are you talking about? Why? If you have your Bibles, I want you to note or write it down if you're taking notes. Ezra chapter 3, verse 6. You say, well, what do you mean? It says there, from the first day of the seventh month, remember what they're gathering on. They're gathering on the first day of the seventh month. You got that? Ezra 3, 6. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. What's your point? The sorrow is unacceptable because of the salvation through the sacrifice. When the sacrifice has now been made, there is no more mourning over sin. It is now, it's, not, it's unsurprising, but it's also unacceptable because of the salvation that God has provided through the sacrifices. All the sacrifices in the Old Testament, all of them anticipated the final perfect sacrifice of the Lord. If they could not grieve because the sacrifice has been made, if they could not grieve because of that, how can we possibly grieve? Oh, you say, but I, well, we've suffered some real problems. Yeah, but we mourn, but not as those without hope. We are different, not because of who we are, but because of what has been done for us. We have a salvation, perfect and complete. In such a manner, there can only be a response, counting it all joy. Maybe some of you lost your joy recently. I, I have, uh, Tuesdays are usually a bad day. So, you know, don't, don't ask me how it's going on Tuesday. Be that as it may, that's about me, not Tuesday. Because of who the Lord is and what he has done for me, Tuesday should be a good day as well. Uh, because of all that was done for me. There were some beggars begging on the street. They all uh, bought lotto tickets. A billion dollars. What's it up to? A billion six? How come you're not online somewhere buying tickets? Uh, we have a better ticket here, don't we? Okay. One of them won. How can you tell who won? 
they stopped begging. How do you know those whose sins are forgiven? They've stopped weeping over their sins. You know the difference makes when you trust in what God has done for you. And that's what gets tested. Are we trusting what God has done for us? How many believe that God is bigger than the problems? David could stand up to a Goliath, not merely because he was a teenager and didn't realize the problems he was facing, but he saw someone bigger than the problem. That's always the test. Do you see someone bigger than the problem? Do you see someone bigger than unemployment? Do you see someone bigger than death? Do you see someone bigger than divorce? Do you see someone bigger than the... That's always the test. Where is your attention? We run the race with endurance, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher. That's how we run the race. And you can always tell when you've been distracted from him. You can always tell. Last night we took some prayer time uh, praying about our micro backsliding. <laughs> we all go through our micro backsliding moments, you know? Uh, when we, have, we, we get our eyes off the goal, get our eyes off the prize, off, eyes off the Lord, and go into kind of a free fall, and we need to be praying and realize, oh no, I got to get my eyes back on the Lord, back on the victory he has given me. And so we want to understand, you can always tell those who are in the winner's circle. You can always tell who's on the winning side. You can tell those who actually have their lives changed. How many people here would want joy? Raise your hand. I'm Jewish. I can offer you this. It's okay. <laughs> My privilege to offer it to you, free of charge, by the way. It's prepaid. Let's read together. Take a look, if you will. Verse 10. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10. It says there, in my increasingly smaller font, <laughs> then he said to them, this is one of my favorite verses, go eat of the fat, amen. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> Drink of the sweet, it's getting good now. Drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Because of who God is. First of all, the whole thing has to do with him. Not just what he's done, but because of who he is. Because he's a God, as, as Tim has rightly said, a God who keeps his word. His promises are good. You can trust in his word. He is a God who cannot lie. It's against his nature. He cannot be God and lie. His word is true. And that's why we can actually be people, not of conceit, but confidence. People who trust in the Lord in the midst of the circumstances. Because when your life, when your family is built upon the rock, storms will come, and they are here. And they're coming on strong. But the heart and the home 
that is built upon the rock, they will withstand the storm because who God is. Founded their lives upon the word of God, they'll be the testimony in the midst of it all. And everyone who seems to appear like the same thing, learn the jargon, learn to raise their hands when they worship. And with the appearance, they seem to fit in. But if their lives are founded upon the sand, they will fall. The purpose of the storm was to reveal the foundation, to show where your heart is, where your hope is, where your trust is. The circumstances are life. Listen, those are merely the occasion. The cause is always the same. Do you love the Lord? Will you trust him through all these things? Do you love me more than these, Jesus said to Peter? That's what gets revealed. For the people who here who are a little younger, I want to give you some sage advice. If you're buying a used car, write this down. This, this is like important. <laughs> buying a used car, make sure they go good uphill. <laughs> they all go good downhill. <laughs> it's uphill that shows what's under the hood. Our faith is revealed through the storms, through the trials, through the difficulties, for all those issues of life, that God may be glorified in the midst of it all, that his light might shine in the darkness, that we might be light bearers, that we might be his instrument of grace and good news in a world that doesn't know where to turn. The joy of the Lord is because of who the Lord is. First and foremost, most important thing you can have for your life is knowing who he is. And because of who he is, that's why, you know, he endured the cross. It, it teaches us in the word. He endured the cross. Why is that? For the joy set before him. Are you enduring the cross? You're going through your cross-like experiences, your difficulties and your trials, the Lord Jesus, we follow him. Even through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil, for he is with us, and we can therefore have hope and confidence in a world that doesn't know any of that. Uh, that's what makes the difference, not our theology, but the result of it, that we trust in the Lord through all of these matters. Uh, this day is holy to the Lord. This day is holy to the Lord. This day, this day, the day, today, each day you live for a holy God is holy to the Lord. Each, when Moses was called by God through a burning bush, God said to him, take off your sandals, for the ground you are on is holy. You're on holy ground. Moses should have said, I've been marching my sheep back and forth over this ground. Doesn't look holy at all. Where the presence of the Lord is, you're on holy ground. I don't care what it looks like to the world. Where the presence of the Lord is, is holy. This day is holy to the Lord. This day is holy. Therefore, in light of who he is, we can rejoice in him, that he was able to make a difference in our life, and we can therefore honor the Lord. 
And some of you may be thinking, I feel insecure. I feel insecure. I feel unsteady on my feet. All the things I was trusting in naturally are been taken away. There was a young boy and his dad went down to the wharf or the beach when they had some piers down there. And there was one construction crew down there that were knocking out the wooden, uh, the wooden uh, boards that were holding up the pier. And the boy said to his dad, Dad, why are they knocking out the boards that hold up the pier? They built a rock foundation. They wanted to rest on a more firm foundation. God is going to knock out all the temporary boards that we have set up, that we might rest in him and him alone, that his may be the only foundation for our life as we go through the storms and live for him as well. And so we want to understand the light of who he is. The joy of the Lord is my strength. You see that word strength? Mark this in your Bibles, if you will. In Hebrew, it's ma'oz, means stronghold or fortress. Not your walls. God is your stronghold. God is your fortress. God is your all in all. You got that? Not the walls. You feel insecure? I think I need some more walls. No, you need the altar. Ezra built the altar before Nehemiah built the walls. They had to get their priorities right. They needed an altar before they could have walls. The walls would only be a testimony of what the altar has done. All the security systems you can put up in your life can't keep God out. They can only be a testimony of where your true security lies. Otherwise, your security's in the wrong place. And God doesn't like competition. He is the only true God, and therefore we have to proclaim him as such. So we want to understand, let's go on down now to verse 12. Because he took a little bit of a look here at some of the matters that we touched upon. You know, we took a look at grace with the sacrifice for our salvation. A little bit of faith, uh, looking to the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Then we come down uh, to verse 12. I like 12. I, I like the whole Bible, so <laughs> I get boring, to tell you the truth. It says in verse 12, all the people went away to eat and to drink and to send portions. Now, my translation is not too cool. Uh, how many have a translation that says, uh, celebrate a great festival? Anyone have a translation that that's bad? Bad translation of the Hebrew. If you've got a translation like that, write this down. It's not great festival. The Hebrew, the word for joy is simcha, uh, joy. And what it says here, simcha gedolah, great joy. We went from joy, you got that? How many people wanted joy? Raise your hand again. How many people want great joy? More people. You weren't satisfied. You knew better was coming. Great joy comes, verse 12, with the application of it. The instruction on the word of God is all well and good. It's the application that brings the great joy. The application is where it's all found. We're here in this holy huddle to learn how to live out the game, to be a light in the darkness. 
We're all here getting the game plan. No team ever won the game in the huddle. Can you imagine that? We're winners. What a great game plan. Yay. The other team is out there looking at you and say, bring it. <laughs> then you win the game. It's in the application, the implementation of truth. Jesus said, John 13, 17, if you know these things, blessed are you who do them. The blessing is in the doing. The great joy is in the application. It's living out the truth. It's knowing there's a world that is in darkness, a world that doesn't know right from wrong, up from down, and we are the ones with the game plan. We're the ones that God has on this holy day sending us out in order to make a difference to the world. For those who don't know how to prepare for themselves. Those who don't know what they even need for their life. But God has us called by him, enabled by him, empowered by him, freed from sin by him. That we might go out and be a testimony to those who don't know where to turn and what to do. That's why I know you'll be praying for me when God places me in different places. Your prayers will be there as we go and pro proclaim the only good news for this desperate and dying world. The good news of a Savior who conquered death, who gives us hope and life now and forever. Now, I want to have one more word before we come to a closure on this matter here, uh, a word that's really important for my soul. The work that we do is we plant congregations all around the world, all around the world. And when we plant congregations, we want to see people say, praise God. It's not enough. It has to be families. Remember that I mentioned that before? Read with me now in Nehemiah chapter uh, 8, the remainder of the chapter. It says here, verse uh, 13 and following. Then on the second day, the heads of the father's households of all the people, the priests and the Levites were gathered to Ezra, the scribe, that they might gain insight into the words of the law. What a smart group of people. They wanted to serve God. They needed you know, he who walks with the wise, the scripture tells us, he who walks with the wise uh, will be wise. But the companion of fools suffers destruction. You're so blessed to have elders who speak well about you behind your back. Who care about you. Who want to help you understand what the word of God says for the application to your lives. You're a blessed people in this community. And those who seek such leadership will make a difference. You say, well, what do you mean? Notice what it says here. Verse 14, they found written in the law how the Lord had commanded, uh, I think you brought that up earlier, didn't you? Uh, his commands and his promises. The commands of God are the priorities he has for our life. Commands are a point of action. We respond in faith at a point of action. And so they wanted to find out how do we honor the Lord. Uh, now they're learning about the commands are being explained to them 
so they could properly honor the Lord. Uh, but the commands of the Lord are the convictions of the saints. Why do I not steal? Is it because I'm not creative enough? <laughs> A little too creative. Is it because I'm not bold enough? Should only be my problem. It's because the Lord's my shepherd and I shall not want. His commands are my convictions. The commands of God are the convictions of the saints. In our outreach for the Feast of Tabernacles, which is being described here, we had a bunch of people get saved. We built these little boothy things and all these branchy things and all these kind of crazy things and shared the gospel and people were getting saved because of the testimony accordingly. You say, how does that work? Read with me. Found written in, in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. That's the 15th of the month, Feast of Tabernacles. Why The whole new covenant is based upon this truth. <laughs> kind of a funny world we live in, you know? When you read in your Bibles in John chapter 7, it says in verse 2, and the Feast of Tabernacles came near. And then from chapter 7 through chapter 9 of John, it's all about the Feast of Tabernacles. Everything Jesus taught was about the Feast of Tabernacles. You say, I don't understand. The word booth here, uh, sukkah uh, in the Hebrew, is word, that word is used uh, by the translators regarding the Messiah. Uh, we read among the rabbis all saw this uh, referring to the Messiah, the booth. God's protection for his people. But it looks so frail. It looks so fragile. That was the point that God was making. We would appear frail. We appear fragile. We have a Savior who is easily crucified. Didn't do anything to save himself. It looks like we could be, you know, one huff and puff would blow the whole deal down. That's the whole point. The security would be in the Lord. And so we want to understand they took the branches uh, that showed the provision of God during the harvest festival. Tabernacles is the biblical feast of thanksgiving. This is where the pilgrims came up with the idea. They would take those branchy things that, we, that testifies to God being our provider and then build these booths that speaks of God being our protector. It looks so frail, so fragile. That's the point. That's the point. That's why when Jesus came, the writers of the New Testament went strong on this. You know, the, in the beginning was the Word. The word, be, uh, the word was with God. The Word was God. Verse 14. The Word became flesh and most English translations say dwelt. The word is tabernacled. Jesus is our tabernacle. He looks weak to the world. He's, he conquered death. He is our provider. He is our protector. We are complete in him. Uh, we have all that we need for everything we call. If we look to him, if we abide in him, we bear much fruit. If we do not abide in him, we're going to find ourselves being fruitless and hopeless. And so we want to understand, as fragile as it may seem, it may seem like, how could that help me? That's the only thing that will. That's the only thing that will. 
And this was the testimony that God had to the people of God for the world to understand the matter. Read with me before I close here. Not because of information, because of time. I've got my eyes on the prize. <laughs> it says here uh, in verse uh, 14, it should live in booze in the feast of the seventh month, 15. So they proclaimed and circulated a, a proclamation to all the cities and in Jerusalem saying, why should everyone hear about this? It's good news for everyone, for all with ears to hear. Listen carefully. But it's only applicable to those who understand. Only applicable to those who understand. Those with the insight. So it, can, it says here, verse 14, 15 rather, Go out to the hills, bring olive branches, wild olive branches, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of leafy trees to make booze as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booze for themselves, each on his roof. Underline that, each on his roof. I'll come back to it. Each on his roof, each on his roof, and in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, in the square of the water gate, in the square of the gate of Ephraim, the entire assembly, that phrase there in the Hebrew reflects upon national revival. The entire assembly. You've been praying for revival? This is how it is done. The entire assembly of those who returned Every, you know, one of our meetings in Eastern Europe, in Ukraine, we had 200 Jewish people come to one of our meetings and over 70 came to faith. We started two congregations. You say, what? Those who returned. The message really is not for everyone. It's for those who understand. For those who will place their faith for those who will return to the Lord, for those who will trust in him, for those who will repent and, and come to the Lord for his grace and his mercy, realizing we all fall short. Verse uh, 17 continues, the entire assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booze and lived in them. The sons of Israel indeed had not done so from the days of Joshua. This is a one-off situation. The son of Nun to this day Notice what it says there. I don't like this translation. There was great rejoicing. Not good. Not good. Not good. Write this down if you like to take notes. What the Hebrew says there. Simcha gedolah me'od. We had joy. We had great joy. Simcha gedolah me'od. Very great joy. Now listen. There's joy when you understand it. There's great joy when you, when you apply it to your life. There's very great joy when you proclaim it. This is the message that we have. You say, well, I don't understand. This is the job that we have. There's going to be great joy, not when we keep it within ourselves. Get the salt out of the salt shaker. 
go into the highways and the byways. This is where the very great joy comes from, the proclamation. You say, well, what do you mean here? How's it start? Know this verse 16. Did you see that? I asked you to underline something there. Do you remember that? It said there in verse 16, they made booths for themselves, each on his own roof. Home by home, house by house, family by family. It's not going to be a congregational thing if it's not a family thing. The revival begins in your family. It begins in your heart, in your home. It has to be in your home before it's going to be in anyone else's home. It, on their roof before the entire assembly could get together. It has to be in your family, in your heart. You have to say, Lord, you are greater than my problems. Your children have to be able to praise God with all the issues of life that may be confronting them as well. They have to see you model the truth of the good news day in, day out, in season and out of season. For God is greater than the seasons that he made. God has a purpose for our lives. And the festivals of Israel that we see here outline the program of God, the purposes that he has, and the good news in our Messiah, in the sacrifice that was made. How can you weep? How can you not rejoice? How can you not? Oh, I understand how you can. I, I, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. And there was, a, back in the old days, old school here, really old school, there was something called telegraph messages. Now you just text. I mean, what's wrong with these people? Didn't they know that back then? Telegraph. And they were looking to hire somebody. And a whole lot of people looking for a job went to the telegraph office waiting to speak to the manager to try to get the gig. You got that? And, all, and they're all talking, trying to hubbub thing, you know, how the, what's going on here, this and that, whatever, the Redskins go to this, whatever, all kinds of discussion going on. And all of a sudden, one young guy, and it was kind of a noise, like a buzzing bee or something, that was kind of going on. Everyone was talking, and never, but one guy, all of a sudden, he dashes out, runs into the manager's office. He comes out with the manager. The manager says, you can all go home. They say, well, hold a second. What, what do you mean? What's going on here? Well, I had tapped out in Morse code, whoever wants the job, come in. It was noise to most. One understood it. Do you understand it? That's what's going to be revealed. Do you have the understanding? Have you yielded your heart to the Lord? Do you understand the truth of God's word? This is what brings joy, great joy, and very great joy. The application of it, the implementation of it, that's where the blessings lie. When we leave the holy huddle, go out there, bring the good news to the whomsoever, to the Jew first, if you don't mind, but God is an equal opportunity savior also to the Gentile. Bringing the good news, praying for God to do great and mighty things because we have one who conquered death. Therefore, we are free from the fear of death. We go out with confidence to face Goliath and let them know you're not too big to fail. You're just too big to miss. Let's pray. As I bow before God along with you, I lower my chin in humility before the Lord. 
But I ask that even as we close our eyes to concentrate, that you would open your heart to God. Because you may be here in the midst of the issues of life. You may be here and you need to return. You need to return because you understood the message. Not from me, but from God himself and the word of God. That he loves you. He understands your tears, your fears, all the issues you're struggling with. In all of his, our afflictions, he was afflicted. And he wants to bring healing and hope and forgiveness to your life. If only you'll just trust him, trust his promises, trust his character, trust in the salvation he provided for you. I'm going to close with a simple prayer. If this prayer reflects the need of your soul, either come to him for the first time with a, for salvation or to renew or rededicate your life to him in either case, God hears your heart. He hears your thoughts. In your heart, pray with me this simple prayer. Dear God, forgive me for my selfishness. Forgive me for trusting in something other than you. Forgive me for my fears. Forgive me for my anger. Cleanse my sins away. Through the blood of Jesus, your son. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. And with everyone else's eyes closed in prayer, right where you are, right where you're seated, everyone's eyes closed in prayer, I just, everyone else's eyes closed in prayer, right where you are, if you prayed that prayer this morning, right where you're seated, just raise your hand once so I can pray for you in closing. Yes, I see your hand. Yes, sure. Yeah, many hands. Yes, I see your hand. Praise God. Yes. Yes, I see your hand. Amen. 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 Father, you see hands, you see our hearts, you know us and you love us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for being our comforter. Thank you for being our strength. Thank you for being our all in all. Now we pray, God, that with the comfort we have, we will comfort others. With the salvation we have, we'll proclaim good news to others. May revival begin in my heart, in my home, in my congregation, to the other most parts of the world, because you are worthy of honor and praise and exaltation. And we bless your name, for we pray in the name of Jesus, amen and amen. And by the way, for those of you who came to faith this morning, I mentioned an envelope early on. Please note on the envelope what you prayed. We want to pray for you. We want you praying for us. We want to pray for you. Note that on the envelope. Put it in the agape box. We will rejoice together. And please let your elders and the pastor know what God's doing in your life. God bless you. Shalom.